The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, good Wednesday on the Jay and Keith show. We'll be talking breakatology. That's right. A little bit of hoops, a little bit of volleyball, a little bit of say what. A little bit of volleyball in my life. A little bit of basketball on the side. A little bit of bracket just for me. A little bit of brackets, all I need. Or something. Basketball galore tomorrow. Basketball galore uh, tomorrow. tomorrow. We'll have yeah. to try to figure out how to get a uh, football preview podcast out as well. Uh, uh, and we, we'll see. We'll, uh, you know what? We're pros. We'll figure it out. But we'll have women's basketball noon on the Buccaneer Sports Network. 7 o'clock for the men. Noon for the ladies. And then uh, mm. Saturday football. Sunday just TV of the ladies and radio of the men. Uh, so a lot going on, a lot going on with prepare for, but that doesn't mean we shortchange the loyal podcast listeners who love to hear playoffs. Playoffs. Talk. They love to hear playoffs. the playoffs. Don't talk about playoffs. And they love to hear from Keith where he can give us his breakatology and then I can blow it all up or not. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yep. 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 No, I believe it. I believe it. That one of those two things will definitely happen. You will either love it or you will hate it. I wish we had, was it the Wayans brothers that were the the movie critics uh, back in the day? Like they were the movie critics in drag. Hated it. I think that was the Wayans brothers on In Living Color. Yes, it but, was. Uh, yeah, we should we should have that on the on the the instant replay for you somewhere. Uh, let's see. One, well, one of them was Jamie Foxx. It was one of the Wayans brothers and Jamie Foxx. That's right? right. That's right. It's what? That's right. Yeah. yeah but yes, that was uh, I own the box set of In Lemon Color, one of my favorite <laughs> shows of all time. So uh, big fan of that. Yes. Um, and you say you don't know anything about pop culture. I mean, again, I got off that like, you know, when it hit like the 2000s, I'm not sure I, I continued on it. So 90s okay. I can go with. Um once you get into 2000s-ish, I'm kind of out. But well, then let's New Jack swing into this bracket breakdown, shall we? Yes, where you want to start? Uh, let's start with the scenes. I think we should probably start with the scenes. That's All right, your start. top eight. My top eight. Um, I'm not going to stand on ceremony. I'm not going to make you guess anything this time. I'm just going to talk about the top eight. So the first two, I think, are a total coin flip at this point. Um Sacramento State is my number one, and South Dakota State is my number two. And I think it boils down to the big sky schedule that Sac State drew this year has been consistently more difficult than the Valley schedule that South Dakota State has had to deal with. Now, South Dakota State did have Iowa and we will get a common opponent between the two teams because Sac State plays UC Davis in the Causeway this week, and UC Davis went to Brookings and put up a heck of a fight against the Jackrabbits earlier this year. So we will have a pretty good idea of how these two teams stack up based on that common opponent, and I would not be surprised to learn that that common data point of UC Davis at home, one team at the beginning of the year, one team at the end, is something that comes up. But 
Um, I, I just think this this last month, Sacramento State has had so many opportunities to lose a game that you just think it's not really the end of the universe if you lose it, right? Idaho going to Weber State. Those are games you look at and go, well, you lose that game, you lose that game, big whoop. Um, and they didn't lose those games. They want, They found ways to win those games. That strikes me as the kind of team that should be at the top of the seeding picture. So I've got Sacramento State 1, South Dakota State 2. Sacramento State will complete its resume, and I think that game could potentially be the one that determines who the one is and who the two is when they match up with UC Davis this weekend. And I think that's pretty much where most people are landing. I think there are more of a majority still on South Dakota State uh, 1, but there seems to be growing, uh, especially over the last few weeks, some uh, momentum, if you will, for Sac State to be at least in the conversation and not be probably three or four weeks ago it was cut and dry one way, and now it seems to be kind of swinging uh, at least to the conversation to be had about is that a slam dunk number one. Right. And again, to me, it's not a massive difference just for the simple reason of the one and two have the same sort of advantage as far as playing at home. Now, mm-hmm. you could maybe argue in the weeds that playing the three as opposed to the four, but again, my argument for Sac State has always been I don't think they care as long as North Dakota State is on South Dakota State's <laughs> side of the bracket. That's exactly. what that was my argument for Sac State. Hundred percent. It's just say, look, I don't care if you want me to be the one or two. Could you just do me one solid and put them over there with them, rather I'm the one or the two, and I'll take whatever else you give me. And I think part of the reason that there is this momentum, right, is that maybe not as many people were looking at closely as at Sac State early in the year. Because we all thought the Hornets would be good. We thought they'd be a playoff team. We didn't think they would be this good. We weren't sure that the Big Sky would be quite so dominant as the top conference in FCS. But it clearly is the number one league in the country this year. And that has prompted a reevaluation versus we kind of know what we're getting in John Stigelmeyer's group in Brookings. They're good. They They are traditionally a very, very good program. They've got a very, very good defense this year. And that is a team you kind of know what you're getting. You look at this other team and they say, oh, hey, we're uh, we're, we're looking at this Sac State team now and, and it turns out they're actually pretty good. But you didn't know to look at them in the first place. So it's nobody's fault that this is happening late. But it is a, it is a natural uh, reaction that this happens late. All right. Two seed, three seed, or two seeds SDSU for me. Three, four, five, and six. I think are all pretty tight. And right now, I still have it. Montana State, North Dakota State are the three and the four. I think those are the second best teams in their respective conferences. Montana State might be the best team in its conference. We'll find out this weekend with the brawl. Weber State has been really strong. They have an FBS win. Uh, They have been a tough opponent for premier teams. They played a really difficult schedule. And then Samford. Uh, Samford has just kept its nose clean all season long. Their only loss is to Georgia. That's fine. You can just hand wave that away automatically. The committee won't even look at the UGA game. So they're undefeated against the FCS. Uh, They have maybe not played the most robust non-conference schedule with the Kennesaw. They they scheduled Kennesaw State with the assumption that, hey, this is a game that's going to help us. And then Kennesaw kind of flopped. Tennessee Tech... 
you knew kind of what you were getting into with, with that one, and then their third non-conference game was Georgia. But there is something to be said for playing all those games and winning all the games on your schedule. And to that end, I have Sanford at six. I would not be shocked to see them at five uh, by the time it's all said and done. I do think they are a good enough team to be the five seed when it all shakes out. Six for me, just based on, I think other teams have shown me a little bit more caliber against high-end opposition when we get to the end of the year. So Sam and Craig both have Sanford as a five. Does that shock you? Not really. Like I said, I well, think they I know can very easily it. be the I'm five. I'm just wondering, you know, especially for Craig, who hates the Southern Conference. Uh, Sam's not a big fan either. But, you know, they're coming around. Coming around on the league. Of course, the league has to do more to help that, and I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that, Sam Craig. I like both of you guys, but I'm just saying. Uh, both of them are the five. Where they differ is, uh, so you've got, Weber or Weber in, and one doesn't. So that's what I'm a little shocked. I guess the point of contention is, I think William and Mary, Holy Cross, where do you fall on kind of incarnate word? That is a very interesting one, isn't it? It's a very interesting team because they lost to Southeastern Louisiana, and it probably, it hasn't definitively, but it probably cost them the automatic bid. The best they can do is a share of, of the Southland Conference title. Um, They beat up on a pretty decent bubble team in Southern Illinois that's not going to get in, I don't think, with with five losses and all of them being FCS losses, including a loss to UIW, including a loss to SEMO, including a loss to North Dakota State, games that they all really probably... They needed to win at least one of those games to get in, and they didn't do it. Um, I would probably have Incarnate Word and then William & Mary in Richmond kind of all in that back-end mix. Uh, and then I, I currently have Incarnate Word at 8, and I have Holy Cross at 7. So I still think Holy Cross is a really good football team. I think they're a pretty complete football team, especially compared to last year. You know, Sluke has taken a big step forward. Their receivers have gotten better. They have that win over a a, a Buffalo team that, that continues to jump out at me uh, as a team that uh, I, I think is going to go bowling. They've got... What they've got two games left. They just had a bye. They're going to boat race Akron, and they should beat Kent next week. So um, I look at that. That's a bowl team, probably a 7-5 and five bowl team. You beat that team as an FCS program. Uh, I think you're a good program. Uh, you're a good team. And I've been a big fan of what Chesney's done with that group over the last couple of years, and it's been building toward a team like this and building toward a moment like this. That's not to say that they're a perfect team, but they have done everything you can ask them to do, uh, and I, I, I don't have any qualms about seeding them. I know some people don't because of the strength of schedule, and I understand that. Um, I think strength of schedule is a separator when you have similar resumes. I don't know that there are very many teams at all that have a resume like Holy Crosses, where you have a win over, again, a bowl eligible or likely to be bowl eligible FBS team. Uh, you run the table in your conference. Uh, most of the teams that you play, you blow out, but not all, not all of them, but most of them. Uh, I just feel like it's a really unique resume in FCS this year. And honestly, I'm not buying any of these CAA teams. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I, I just don't know, you know, William and Mary, Richmond, Elon, even Delaware, New Hampshire, they've all piled up a lot of wins. 
but we've seen that movie before with the CAA where they get six teams in and none of them are in past the second round. Well, that's listen, that's what I've talked about with at least the Southern Conference. That'll be big because it seems like three's a lock. If Mercer were to beat Sanford, I think you could get four in. Um, and it legitimately mm-hmm. happened. And if that's the case, they got to win. That's been my argument with CAA for a while when they keep thumping their chest on five, six teams. It's like, all right, so one of – Yeah, somebody other than JMU needs to step up and go on a run here and reestablish the bona fides of what's left because very few teams have done – there was the one-off with Maine in 18, but otherwise I haven't really seen (sighs) I don't want to talk about that because Jacksonville State, who ETSU – should have beaten, and uh, they didn't, and that's fine, 24-17. The Traymond Farrell knocked the ball out of Quay Holmes's hands. But ETSU was better to prepare to go play Maine. Jackson, I watched Agreed. Jacksonville State didn't want to be there. They had it was no interest. Cold. They pulled up stakes the moment they, they stepped off the bus. It was The same done. thing happened. Done. The same thing happened in January of 16 at the national championship game. It was 55 odd degrees of a warm-up when they got it's on the field they had space heaters on and North Dakota State was really comfortable they were outside it was the nicest weather they'd seen in a month and they were ready to play some football and they smashed them it's it was disappointing I don't think ETSU would have beaten Maine don't you know I'm not trying to like stoke a fire here and, and proclaim this run or anything I just think ETSU would have been way better prepared would have been a way better game the cold weather would not have affected ETSU um, Bucks under Randy Sanders never practiced in the dome unless it was a thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter the weather, the temperature. You know, Carl Torbush was 100% in the dome because he didn't like to be outdoors and uncomfortable. Randy Sanders like, we play outdoors. Most teams we play are going to be outdoors, if Let's not all of them. Outdoors, so we yeah. are going to be outdoors. Yep. If there's a thunderstorm and we can't practice outdoors, we're not going to miss practice. We'll go indoors. But they did not go indoors uh, right. unless there's bad weather. Uh, for an example, this week, I know tomorrow, because of the 30-degree weather, they're going to practice in the Dome. I think they are again today because of the weather. Randy yeah. Sanders would have said, no, sir, you're going outside. and do it. So, again, ETSU have been better prepared to play Maine on that. Sorry, I got off on the side. Montana and Montana State don't have indoor practice facilities. Well, I mean, watch. I believe Montana Washington. State got a bubble last minute over the summer because they were like, oh, this is an issue. Um but they did not have indoor practice facilities available to them at all last year during the run-up to their national championship appearance, which is kind of staggering to me because you're talking about having to shovel a foot of snow off your practice field before you practice and also trying not to freeze to death. I mean, it in sounds Montana. fine to me. You lived up there. It's fine. It's fine. You play I lived in North Dakota. Through. North Dakota is very different from Montana. Montana is like if here got three feet of snow. Yeah, it's a lot more. Cha- it's a little more challenging. I am not cut out for li- for living in Montana. I'll say that for nothing. Um, all right, so automatic bids. Um, I am projecting Sac State as the AQ of the Big Sky. South Coast State's wrapped up the Valley. Holy Cross wrapped up the Patriot League. Sanford's wrapped up the SoCon. I am projecting William and Mary currently at the CAA. Um, the coin flip that's coming in the OVC most likely, I think, is going to go Simo's way. Southeastern Louisiana out of the Southland. Uh, I am projecting at the moment. I don't have the power rankings in front of me. I haven't seen them yet. Abilene Christian out of the Wax Sun. 
North Carolina A&T out of the Southland. They got to play Gardner-Webb in what is essential. Or not Southland, Big South. Big South, yeah. Uh, they got to play Gardner-Webb in a, in a de facto Big South championship game. Davidson out of the Pioneer and St. Francis out of the NEC has been wrapped up for a while. Other at-large teams, I have Richmond in, Furman in, Elon, currently Montana, not by much, North Dakota, Idaho, Chattanooga, and then my last two teams in are New Hampshire and Fordham. Anybody notable missing from there? I was trying to I was trying to write down the notes. Uh, so, how many Big Sky again? Uh, that is a great question. I didn't actually count by conference. Mm. So Big Sky has three seeded. Okay. And then I have them with Montana and Idaho, so that's five. Five. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of missing teams. The only other team that could potentially get in is UC Davis if they beat Sacramento State, and that would be a pretty dramatic reversal of fortunes for a lot of bubble teams. I do have Mercer out. I have Delaware out. Yeah, I think that's the one where a lot of folks right now have Delaware in. I mean, it's it's very interesting. I think right now is at large is assuming the winners that you gave us um, at larges, unseated, incarnate word, right? You would you would agree. Elon, Richmond, Furman, Chat. I'm not doing any particular order. New Hampshire, Idaho, Montana. Then what? North Dakota. Uh, I had North Dakota, Idaho, Chat, New Hampshire, Fordham at the end. So Fordham, so Fordham, Delaware. Sam, I believe has Fordham out. Right, I mean, but but still, yeah. like, and honestly, if you even look at some of the other Craig and all these other ones you want to look at, like, they're all kind of, mm-hmm. you know, some have Delaware in, some have Fordham, then some of the ones knocking on the door could be, I think everyone agrees, if Mercer beats Sanford, that's, that's going to be eight wins. Yeah. The problem with Mercer right now is I believe the people they've beaten, none of them are ranked, so ETSU – would have been a mm-hmm. decent win if they would have stayed ranked, but they didn't. So right. it's a three win. So that's needed, the problem with Mercer. Mercer needs a win against Chattanooga, Furman, or Sanford. They can't go 0 and 3 against those teams. Exactly. Exactly. If you go 0 and 3 against those teams, you don't get in and you don't really have a lot of room to bellyache about it. Right. And the same thing applies to me to Delaware. Who are the three best teams in the CAA this year? Just off the dome. Who are the three best teams in the CAA? I would say Bill and Mary, Elon, Richmond. Okay. Uh, they lost 27-21 at William & Mary. They lost 27-7 to at Elon and 21-13 at yeah, Richmond. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, to Richmond at home. That was at home. Yeah. So, yeah, I, again, kind of the same deal. Delaware is on the bubble because the three best teams on their schedule, and by far the three best teams on their schedule, they played them all and they lost. Their, their best win is at Rhode Island early in the year, which is a good win. But you've got to beat Villanova. And maybe get a little bit of help. And I do think they will ultimately get a little bit of help. Um, you know, I, I don't think Montana is a lock by any means. I don't think Montana is safe. Uh, they need some help on the bubble. North Dakota is another one. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at North Dakota State. Montana is going to throw the kitchen sink at Montana State because those games put those teams in the playoffs. The, and if you lose, you are not guaranteed anything. But if you win those games, it would be virtually impossible to exclude those teams from the playoff field. So, so that's uh, why I think Mer- yeah. Mercer could be in a very good – first of all, again, if they win it, they have eight wins. They would at least beat one of the three teams. Mm-hmm. And then if Montana 
as you just stated, North Dakota both lose. I think certainly that strengthens Mercer's case. Furman and Chad, or uh, Furman and Chat, unless some, I don't even know. I would assume Furman would need to win again to make sure they're in against Wofford. Furman, Chad, Furman Chad, needs Chad to is win, in yeah. regardless. I would think so. I mean, it would be a bad loss to Western, but I still think they would get in. I don't think they would be held out. Yeah, I, I don't know how the committee would look at a team that lost three of its last four games and went one and two against the teams it really needs wins. It needs to stack wins against. Well, I, Again, but I think it just depends. I mean, I don't think North Dakota and Montana are going to win this. Mm-hmm. Now, they can. I don't think they are. And just looking at some of the the bubble type things, I think Chat would still have a stronger case to get in than some of the other teams. Again, again, I don't want to split too many hairs on the what if game because we could be here forever. But I just feel like Mercer has to win to get in. For the most part, unless something strange happens, Furman, Chat, win, get in. If they lose, I think it would hurt Furman worse than Chat. But still, I think uh, three teams are in. Mercer could have a great. Mercer would be in if they win. If they lose. Even if the worst-case bubble things happen, I just don't see any way for the Southern Conference to get four in. Is that I, I, all, I, I think it's SoCon. I do think it's possible the bubble collapses, Mercer wins, and the SoCon ends up with four teams, and none of them are seated. No, I, I think that's I, very possible. Yes, I think that's the only way four teams get in. Mm-hmm. You know, again, and I think that North Dakota, Montana, and they start stacking up. Mercer will at least have a win against Sanford, which yep. is getting some notoriety now, and then. I think it becomes is four teams better than getting in than a seeded and two other teams. I think that's a very valid question. Uh, But for me, it's get as many teams in as you can. It's get four teams in. Yeah, and then hopefully you win a couple games. And especially when you look at who would be some of the possible opponents because, as you know, the first round – has no rhyme or reason. It is more of – The first round is about cash bids. Like it, it is about prime. It is primarily about cash bids. They open the the envelope, the sealed envelopes, and they determine. Okay, uh, these are the eight teams that are going to host. These are the eight teams that are cash bid and venue too. They got to be able to. Uh, they do support. have. To, they do have yeah. to have the the venue, but the venue is part of the bid. Correct. Um, it's it's the eight best bids will host first round games, and from there they'll figure out opponents that make sense, and they will funnel those teams to. A specific preferably seat. 400 miles or less to bus them mm-hmm. correct so again you if you get four southern conference teams in depending on bids and who does what i would assume if sanford isn't ac they would throw a buttload of money uh to try to get a host chattanooga has before Furman has thrown a buttload of money before and then Mercer, actually, I got to be honest, Sanford would be probably the lowest bid compared to the others. Um, just guessing. And Sanford has the worst press box of all of those mm-hmm. uh, that could support um, some things. So I'd be curious to see kind of how that plays out. But then you're talking about, you know, you run out of southern teams. <laughs> four, yeah. four of those teams aren't seated. But also, and, the committee not does have, not a, have a directive to. to avoid rematches in the first two rounds. And the benefit of that is all the SOCON teams played each other this year because you play the full round robin, so you can't start pairing those teams up. All that, you know, like just, you know, it's like, well, we'll clump all four of these teams together to save money on travel. You can't do that. They changed the rules to specifically avoid doing that. And you have to split those teams on different sides of the bracket. So 
They'll have their work cut out for them. There's a lot of uh, a lot of boxes to check. Uh, but as far as the teams that get in, um, my first two teams out are Mercer and Delaware. I also have Rhode Island, uh, Youngstown, Austin P, Eastern Kentucky, Northern Iowa, Southern Illinois, and UC Davis in a group that I considered but didn't really consider um, all that closely because I just don't think they have what they need to get in. I didn't hear. Did you say Eastern Kentucky? Yes. Okay, then uh, everybody, you said uh, uh, the FAMU is a I nah. I I agree. I agree. Not I, this year. I agree. Last year, the bubble was so flimsy that it made a ton of sense to give a team that just won a bunch of games a spot. And I think you could honestly make the same argument for Fordham. Is that last year uh, a nine and two Fordham team whose only losses are a combined by a combined like four points to Holy Cross in Ohio should probably get in. And last year, they probably do. And this year, it's going to be a lot less cut and dried for them. I think if a lot of the other bubbly teams win, Fordham is a team that could be easily pushed out by wins, by like Mercer and UND and, and Montana. If all those teams win, Fordham is going to be sweating bullets on Sunday morning. I can't wait for Sunday. I don't know that I can. I'll take that back. I'll be in a car driving to You'll be driving to Cookville. And driving to Cookville. I mean, in general, like as a FCS playoff guy, I can't wait for Sunday. But in reality, me traveling, I, I can. Yeah, I can imagine brutal. you can. You got any more on the breakatology before we move on? Nope, that's it. heard but there's basketball there is basketball the twilight doubleheader tomorrow indeed faculty staff day if your uh, faculty staff listen to this get in the game for free the women's game yeah for free during your lunch break it's a noon tip etsu in jacksonville state should be a good game i think it'll be a good game i think it'll be interesting uh the top three or four scores that were in the game last year are no longer on the floor for two for each squad if i'm not mistaken right. so uh the press that Jacksonville State normally likes to throw on people, I will be very curious because if you watch the end of the St. Bonaventure game, and not that St. Bonaventure was a particularly great pressing team, but ETSU had a hard time against the press, so we'll see how ETSU handles that. We talked about if you listen to Monday, uh, Giselle Thomas is an animal. I'll be curious to see how teams start to maybe try to game plan against her. ETSU got hammered on the glass. That would be the last thing I want to talk about on that game, just for the simple reason they were minus 15 a year ago. That seems to be a strength of this year's team is rebounding, and they've got some ladies that can go get it. So if ETSU can rebound, I think certainly um, it kind of changes the dynamic uh, for the contest. Rather, they get other second-chance opportunities. More importantly, can they keep Jacksonville State to one and done? But you have to be on your – Roster card there, Keith. They will roll 11 or 12 folks uh, in and out. We'll coach Petrie at Jacksonville State. They'll rotate a lot of ladies, try to keep fresh. Again, they try to press. Mm-hmm. So um, they didn't particularly force a lot of turnovers last year. Uh, I think it was only 18. So I think 
Coach Mock and him now, they had, again, struggled against St. Bonaventure. Uh, they really hadn't worked on it because they didn't expect to see it. Yep. Um, they got it, so they'll be able to work on it. So how they handle the basketball, can they rebound? I think that would be two things that could help lead Coach Mock to have what would be an unheard of three-game winning streak women's basketball for a while. I definitely think the press will be a challenge for this team because it's a group that's still relatively new to each other. And you know, there were so many injuries during preseason that it's it's still a group that's gelling a little bit. I I don't know that they're all the way where they're going to be when we get to SoCon play. So that'll be a good test um, for making sure they know where to be, for knowing how to um, match up against a team that's going to be fresher than they are because they're going to play more players than ETSU is. Um, and they're going to have a lot of uh, activity. I would imagine it'll be pretty chaotic game tomorrow because of that but for ETSU you're gonna have to find somebody who can be the pressure valve because they know you the last two games they know Giselle Thomas is your offense and they you are gonna do whatever you can to get the ball in Giselle Thomas's hands and let her do the work and let her run your offense so they're gonna disrupt every opportunity that they think you have to get the ball to Giselle, how do you, uh, we, how does Courtney Moore step up? Or um, Ja'Kaya Davis, how does she do on the on the catch, on the inbound? And then maybe there's a handoff there that just breaks the press. I, there are so many different things that you're going to have to be able to do to be a little bit more uh, of a team, of a cohesive team today or tomorrow than you are um, against than you were or than you had to be against the Bonnies or against Lafayette. So, I again, noon, 11.30 pregame show. Keith will have the call on radio. I'll have the call on ESPN3. Bruce Trambarger will flip seats and venues at Freedom Hall on that night, Thursday night, 6.30 pregame show. I'll go to the radio. Keith will handle TV with Bruce, 7 p.m. tip, and that'll be the return game finally of Little Rock, Arkansas, the University of Arkansas. Little Rock, I guess I should actually use the name right. And the one thing about that I was amazed was Little Little Rock still has two players on their team from when we played in 2019-20, which seems like eons ago. The leading scorer for the Bucks, 20 points, Davian Williamson, who's still playing for Wake Forest at this point. Yes. Uh, and then Isaiah Tizio were the two leading scorers. Yeah, Williamson, uh, he hit the uh, – he had a big layup with about a minute 14, I think it was, to go in that game. Uh, 20 points off the bench, five threes, hit the big run, runner, and uh, really just kind of stunned that crowd. And, oh. and they won it. That was, a, that was a pretty good Little Rock team, too. Uh, that that yeah, team they was were better than this and 10. one. Yeah, they were 21-10, and 10, and they did not get a chance. Their first-round game was canceled when the COVID situation, so they never even played right. the – conference tournament because they played a week later than the SoCon and the Summit League and some of the other leagues so Daryl Walker reasons. former pro he's got an interesting backstory former NBA player a uh, legend at Arkansas was a Razorback played NBA like 12 13 years won a ring with the Bulls in 93 then became a head coach in the NBA two years assistant with the Raptors then became a head coach of the Raptors then he was a head coach of the Wizards then he coached in the old CBA, then he coached in the WNBA, then he was a head coach at a um, Division three school, mm-hmm. then he got the job at Little Rock, Arkansas. He's been all over the place. Uh, man certainly 
knows some basketball. His team, though, the last three years, three and twenty on the road. Mm. So three for the last twenty-three on the road, and this year so far, two road games. They're averaging, golly, giving up eighty-six points a game on the road. Southern Illinois and Central Arkansas. So the one thing I think that is glaring that hopefully ETSU and the coaching staff has already noticed. Teams are shooting 46% on them, and I feel like with the new emergence of the inside game, the post play, that ought to be feeding time for Jalen Haynes and Brock Jancic. Yes. Uh, this is a team that's got some some dudes in the post. Like, I mean, DeAnthony Gordon, uh, what, 6'8", 210 uh, is their leading scorer. Nigel John is 6'8", 245. Juco guy. Got, they, they got some bigger dudes up front and that's going to make this a, a I think a really fun game that ETSU can win in the paint because I do think the Bucks can win this game in the paint that is not something that we, we've been able to say about Bucks teams of the recent past uh, certainly last year they struggled uh, in the front court just to find guys Jalen Haynes showed me something over the weekend that guy is a player and he wants to just dominate that's what, when uh, I was listening to Mike Leach talk about his wide receivers at his press conference on Monday, he said, we don't have a guy that stepped up and taken charge and said, this is mine, I own this. And I feel like Jalen Haynes is the kind of guy that when he steps on the floor, it, he has that sort of, this is mine, I own this, other team's going to have to pry it out of, my, out of my hands in order for them to, to have any success. Like, he wants to be that guy that, that is dominant and imposing in the paint. Um, and I think he's going to have fun against these these guys up front. That's a good challenge, but I don't think it's an it's by any means an unsolvable challenge. I agreed. I think it's a good, good matchup. Uh, it took a while to get them back here. They were supposed to play, and then again, the post-COVID where people were just playing conference games, and then they had already game scheduled. So it took a while to get uh, Little Rock back, but – one of those games I like because it's not it's a it's usually a Goodman major if you look at the history of the school and then you take a look at teams that you don't normally get to play. Like yes, it's fun to play UNCA and App State and are drivable and it's there, but at the same token, for me, it's fun to see teams that you normally don't see on a kind of a yearly basis, a, a few one-offs. Like, you know, obviously went, ETSU hadn't played Elon, which isn't that far of a drive since they were in the Southern Conference before they went to the ASUN. So it had been a long time. So uh, Louisiana, ETSU's played three times now in the history of the school. I've done two of them. One of them was in Hawaii. That, again, happened uh, like 6 in the morning uh, Eastern time that people may not even know happened. So love some of these games where you get to play teams you don't normally get to play. And so I'm looking forward to the matchup. That's uh, Thursday, 7 o'clock, 6.30, pregame show. All right, that's it for hoops. A little doubleheader. We got uh, coming up just a uh, little little volleyball. I heard mm -hmm. they're pretty good. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, uh, I think they're uh, champions. With uh, ETSU volleyball middle London Kaufman, a senior and uh, 
well, kind of the face of the team in, in some respects uh, for Benavia Jenkins's group. And uh, London would be shocked to not see you on the all-conference list when that gets announced uh, later this week. But uh, first of all, congratulations on a championship in the regular season. I know it's not done. Job's not done yet. But 15-1 uh, and one has to feel pretty good. How do, how do you feel about the, the, the way you wrapped up the, the regular season with a SoCon title? Yeah, thank you so much. I am so excited. This season has been, I feel like it's my senior year and I feel like we've, this team has worked so hard for four years and it's finally coming to fruition kind of. And I'm just so happy that it's finally, we're finally all working well together and it's paying off. You started the year 0-5 and, and you <laughs> finish it at 21-7. and 7. Obviously some good things happened there. Uh, something flipped. You played a lot of really fierce competition um, early on. Um, but uh, what, what do you think changed after those first five games where you start come up empty? I think our coaches definitely did a good job of setting up our preseason, having us play a bunch of really difficult teams. And um, I think that really showed us specifically what we needed to work on to get it over with in the preseason to make those mistakes and then when it comes to conference time we knew what we needed to fix and we fixed it and we got it done how fun is it to work with a team that's this young i mean caroline's a sophomore uh brandon Cantrell's a freshman coming in immediately impact player on the left pin uh, you're surrounded by a lot of really young wide-eyed kids experiencing college volleyball for the first time it's super fun and i'm super proud of everybody it's crazy how fast they've come in and be able to put an impact on the team like that and it's also fun to be kind of like the big sister of the team and I feel like sometimes I like put the little younger girls under my wing and I, it's fun to be with them now some people would say sister some people would say mama <laughs> yeah uh what, what is the origin of big mama I I really don't know if there's a single like moment that started big mama but <laughs> our um our volunteer assistant Levi he has been with us for three years now, and I think last season, in the beginning, he just started calling me Big Mama, and I guess everybody loved that, and that, I'm just Big Mama now, I guess. Do you wear that with pride? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I mean, what's, when does it, I feel like at some point, something like that is almost like an alter ego, especially yeah, in a yeah. sport where you, you know, like you slam the ball back in somebody's face mm -hmm. on a block or something, it's like Big Mama comes out in a moment <laughs> yeah. like that. For sure. Sometimes when I get a block, the team will say, Big Mama said you can't come over. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that That's great. Uh, we're talking with London Kaufman, ETSU Volleyball Middle. What's your relationship like with Benavia Jenkins? Because you've been in the program the longest, or just about as long as, as anybody has, you and, uh, and, and Betty Cunningham. Um, but Benavia is your position coach. Mm -hmm. So you probably know her as well as anybody on the team. Yeah. She was a middle at Florida, which means she was – a great middle and she knows her stuff and she's hard on the middles for sure but that's made me 10 times better over the past four years that I've been here and I think from the beginning I could tell that she was hard on me because she's like saw the potential mm -hmm. and I think I'm finally like starting to show that potential to her and I think she's happy about it and our relationship has just grown over the, fo the past four years. What was like, what was your first impression of Benavia? Like, when did you know that this was somebody that you really wanted to, to work with? Um, well, I would say my first impression was, like, she knows what she's doing. Okay. And very intimidating because, she's, first of all, she's an intimidating lady. Second of all, <laughs> she's a successful volleyball player and 
a great coach. So that was just my first impression. I just wanted to do the right thing so I didn't get in trouble and also make her proud. Yeah, she definitely has a face that you do not want to be on the other oh, side. She sure. has a withering <laughs> stare. Yes. Uh, what, what is it that you think makes her so intimidating? Um, I think it's that she knows what she wants and she won't accept anything less. She, she ex- expects greatness from all of us and she's not happy until she gets it. How much do you think you've changed over four years in this program? Oh, my, I think my play has changed tremendously. I think I'm so much better from working with all the coaches, especially Coach Benavia. Um, she knows her stuff, and she's taught me well. So, oh. um, Personally, how much have you grown? Because I hear a lot about, you know, London used to be really quiet, and she used to be really <laughs> shy, and yeah. uh, it sounds like a completely different person from the person I'm sitting across from right now. Yeah. I... I like to say I'm one of those people that like you have to it takes me a little while to like break my shell mm-hmm. and I think it takes a couple of weeks but it seems like it's taken a couple of years because sometimes the coaches are like London we didn't know you talked we didn't know you were funny um so yeah I, I think it's taking me some time to come out of my shell I think the girls on the team have helped a lot we're all super close and we all are super funny and we all we do is laugh together so I think that's helped a lot that's that's good to hear we didn't know you were funny yeah <laughs> it only took us yeah. two years <laughs> Oh, that is uh, that is a little bit. Of, so um, we'll get into a little bit more of this. I guess we have some, some <clears throat> rapid fire questions that we'll get to in a little bit. But um, what what are some of the things that you do to kind of round yourself out? Because no person is just the sport they play, or even the academic pursuits. You're a communications major. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no person is just what they do. You also have a, a lot of other things that you want to be and, and and are. I like to think. What I hope to be is a person that my favorite thing to do is like build someone up when you can tell someone's not having their best day or someone isn't feeling great about themselves. I love to compliment people and make them feel better. I think that is what I like to do the most, like bring people together, support people and make people feel better about themselves is what I'm passionate about. What would it mean to hang a second banner? in the rafters of Brooks this year because oh. you're going to put one up for the SoCon regular season title. So putting one up for an NCAA tournament appearance would probably be pretty cool too. That would be amazing. I'm super happy and blessed that we have won the regular season, but I don't think it's enough. I think we need the second banner. Tell me about the sit-ups that you guys <laughs> yeah. do in practice where you call out the names of the other teams in the league. So we have the all the other teams in the conferences, like school banners hang mm-hmm. up in our gym. And so at the beginning of the season – we play every team twice. So at the beginning of the season, we do a sit-up for every single team twice. And then once we beat a team, we knock off a sit-up. And so now it's just chat left, one sit-up. But, yeah. Does the, Did that – do you think that fired the team up a little bit when you had to go play Chattanooga the second time, that you still had that one for Chattanooga at the end yes. of the year? Yes, oh, for sure. We First of all, there's already, a, like, a little rivalry in state school for, with chat. And for them to be the only team that's beaten us, we, when we were going back into their house, we were like, we have to beat them and beat them bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you did that. You swept yeah. them at their place. was a, a pretty impressive. But that loss was interesting because that was actually the first like, – so I got here late. That was the first game I called of ETSU. And I was like, wow, this team's been really good. They've been mm-hmm. on this roll. You come out, you get up to nothing, and everything's looking good. And then here comes Chattanooga, and they find an extra gear. What do you think this group learned from that loss that set off the next win streak? I think that game taught us a lot. It definitely taught us that every team we are going to play is going to play their best against us because we are the team to beat. 
and we don't have any time to take the foot off the gas. And I think we did that a little bit in that game. We kind of let up a little bit, and they took that opportunity and came back and won that game. For sure. And, and it was, it's been really fun to watch um, the, the team mature. I mean, we talked about Caroline. We talked about um, uh, Brianna. Mm-hmm. Um, Kamani Johnson as well just seems to be a wellspring of energy for the team. What have you liked about working with Kamani in, in the front row this year? Kamani is, she's like a baby to me. She's like my little baby, but she is a big girl and she has power. And when she blocks the ball, she goes crazy and she's so hype. And I just, I love being in the front row with her. How important is it to have a player like that in the mix? That's just big smile, big vibes all the time. Yes. Um, it's, it's so important to have someone like that. That's always cheering everybody on that gets the energy up and can make big power plays and then like brings the whole team's energy up. That's amazing. All right, so we we started something new last time we had an athlete on the show with uh, with Courtney Moore. Um, it's, we're calling this the fast break. I apologize, we don't have an adequate volleyball analogy <laughs> okay. for that. Uh, but um, we just some rapid fire questions. Okay. Some of these questions have specific right and wrong answers. They're kind of quick think, quick thinking brain teasers. Okay. Um, you want to do it? Yeah. All right. Let's run the fast break with London Kaufman. Welcome to the land of the hyenas! All right. First question. What's the farthest you've ever been from home? Um, I visited uh, the Virgin Islands with my friend Ooh, a couple summers ago. That's a good one. Uh, what, sports, what sport besides volleyball have you always wanted to try? Like ballet? I think that would be cool. Okay. Who's the toughest matchup you've ever had on another team? The toughest team? Toughest player. Toughest player that you've ever... Just like somebody that you can't figure out. I mean, we played Florida this year, and I can't figure any of them out. They're like 6'9". That's fair. What is your favorite word? Ooh. I like... I say silly all the time. Like, that's silly. What is your least favorite word? Ooh, I don't like... Moist. (laughs) Nobody does. That is a great standby answer. How much dirt is in a hole that's two feet wide and three feet deep? It's a hole, there's no dirt. Very good. <laughs> if you could be an animal for one day, what animal would you be? A lion. Lion? Uh, you'd have to, would, would you be the one that does all the hunting or would you be the one that just hangs out? Oh, I would hang out and be scary. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite car? Does not have to be one you've driven. Car? Yeah. I mean, I would like to drive a Range Rover or like a Tesla. Okay. Dogs or cats? Cats. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, how good of a cook are you? Two. <laughs> Two. Is the capital of Kentucky pronounced Louisville or Louisville? Louisville. Neither. It's Frankfurt. Oh. Uh, if you could only keep one app on your phone, what would it be? TikTok. TikTok. Who's the coolest teammate to hang out with? My roommates, Sydney and Lauren. What's freakier, spiders or snakes? S- snakes. What's your favorite movie? Dreamgirls. Before Mount Everest was discovered, what was the tallest mountain on earth? Kilimanjaro. Mount Everest. What's something you love but are embarrassed by how much you love it? Um, pickles. Pickles? <laughs> I love pickles. There is absolutely no shame in that. Pickles are great. Uh, that is a new high score of 17 for London Kaufman. <laughs> nice. Uh, well done. Well done. Dream Girls. Mm-hmm. Why, why Dream Girls? What do you like about that? Um, first of all, I love musicals. And I love Beyonce, okay. and it's a musical Fair. that has Beyonce in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all it needs to be. Yeah. 
Um, so last thing before we let you go, London, uh, we do this thing where we pay it forward, where each athlete uh, asks a question for the next athlete to appear on the show. And then we get that athlete to ask another question okay. um, for the next one. So the question here is from Courtney Moore. Um, what outside of sports in ETSU is the best part about campus? I think just the scenery, like especially okay. in the fall when all the leaves are changing, you can see the mountains like turning orange. That's so beautiful. Okay. So for the next athlete that, that sits in that chair and talks into that microphone, what do you want to know from them? What question do you want to ask them? So I want to ask, what is your favorite college sport to watch that's not your own sport? Not your own sport. That's a good choice. Thanks. Um, for me, it's all of them because I didn't play any college <laughs> But uh, probably college hockey, I would say. Really? Yeah, I've never watched college hockey. It's a, it's a fun one. It's a really interesting atmosphere because it's like basketball. You get the bands in there. Mm -hmm. And it's totally different from a pro hockey game. And growing up on pro hockey, it was really, it was really cool. Uh, London Kaufman, also very cool. ETSU, volleyball <laughs> middle. You. London, thanks so much for your time. Good luck in the SOCON tournament. Can't wait to see you guys bring home another trophy. Thank you so much. All right, a little bit of a quick show because of the turnaround tomorrow. We got the basketball games again, noon, 7 o'clock. Navy Jenkins and the volleyball team, they play Friday at 2 as their first matchup. Championship game Sunday at 4. Yes. Oh, I, I know I skipped the semis, but I don't know what time that would be. So. Uh, I'm actually not sure either, but they will cruise through it, I think. I think they're going to win the whole thing. I do too. I do too. I can't I mean, they're, wait. They're clearly the best team in the league this year. Yes, and I, I think it's hands down. You can't say that every year, but this year it's hands down. They are the favorite. Hopefully they win. We can have a selection show there the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and all is well with the NCAA tournament and the Folly Bucks, if you will. Yes. All right, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. We'll talk football. We can recap basketball quickly. We'll talk about some other basketball, but mainly football. Football, football, football. Football, football, football. Janky. Back in right now. Don't mess with Big Mama. Oh, you got to be kidding me.